0: Hey, it's me again, Max. Glad to be back. This is the Calm 122 podcast, episode 7. In last week's episode, we talked about seven strategies media institutions take to counter high risks and high costs in the media industry. This week, we will discuss the last, but perhaps the most important strategy of all, globalization. We all know what it means. Just look at things around us. Most are not produced in the U.S., yet if you look at cinemas, I bet you will find a lot of the same films currently screening across different cities worldwide. Chances are, they are made in Hollywood. Latest numbers show that over 80% of Netflix revenue comes from overseas subscribers. Netflix is available in almost every digitally connected country, except China. We will discuss why that's the case in the next episode. Amazon's Prime Video also has an extensive global presence. Hulu, which is owned by Disney, is also ambitiously targeting the international market. Like the video streaming industry, the US film industry in particular has become more dependent on international markets for revenue growth. Over 70% of the box office revenues come from overseas sales. Did you also know that a big portion of studios revenues here in the US for television shows come from abroad? While America may have a trade deficit from trading with China and the European Union in terms of durable goods, the US exports far more royalties and licensing fees. So maybe we should say this. Media globalization is not just a business strategy, but the backbone of the industry, and it is precisely what makes America great. Remember economies of scale and economies of scope? Media globalization is about taking advantage of economies of scale and economies of scope in the era of mass customization. That is, producing a great number of media products in a great number of formats to be sold to the global audience. Well, why do the media industries embrace globalization? Here are some reasons. Global advertisers want to find a global market for their products. The domestic market is increasingly competitive and saturated, and developments of digital technology make global content delivery possible very easily. By most metrics, the U.S. is the dominant party in globalization. Since World War II, the U.S. film and TV industries have relied on international markets for growth. The U.S. is the largest producer of films and TV content in the globe. This is largely thanks to first-mover advantage, Since the U.S. media industry is the first to monetize the global market, it gives the country competitive advantages in terms of strong market presence, brand recognition, and loyalty. American dominance has drawn lots of criticism. Scholars use the term cultural imperialism to describe the destruction of local cultural production and values due to the vast amount of cultural products exported from the U.S. and other dominant Western countries. It exerts the homogenizing effects of Western culture as it spread across the world. Example, think of theme parks. What is the mental image that you conjure up when you think of theme parks? You will likely picture Universal Studios or Disneyland. I bet most kids around the world will think the same. This is because the image of a theme park is really defined by two major American media franchises, Universal Studios and Disneyland. Some even argue that American dominance in the media world represents neo-colonialism. This term speaks about concerns people have over America's growing political and ideological influence on the independence of other nations. While the criticism mostly comes from the global south, which is the developing world, people in the developed world share the same anxiety. In the French-speaking region of Canada, Quebec, Some were critical of Netflix's entry into the Canadian market, feeling that their cultural identity is under attack by the flooding of English-language films, and that Canada will become a, quote, unilingual cultural colony of the United States, unquote. For more info on that topic, you can follow the optional reading from the Toronto Star. Is the criticism overstated? I'll leave it up to you to decide. Increasingly, American dominance has been challenged on multiple fronts, With the rising share of the Chinese market, Hollywood is yielding to Chinese audiences in order to profit from the Chinese market. Chinese capitals are reshaping Hollywood as Americans know it. Wanda, a Chinese conglomerate, was the owner of AMC Theaters for about seven years. And Chinese tech giant Alibaba is the co-producer of the Academy Awards best picture film Green Book. Hollywood's engagement from China comes with strings attached. In order to enter the market, American films adopt the strategy of employing Chinese A-list talent, adding local scenes, co-producing, and sharing revenues with local studios and theaters. American films are also subject to the strict quota set by the Chinese government on the number of foreign films to be imported. Is this a fair game to play? You may doubt it, but even with the rigged rules, American media companies still very much want to be a part of the game. Also challenging American dominance are countries such as Japan, South Korea, and India, all have a booming media industry, and their products are exported worldwide. Want an example? Just browse the section of Bollywood movies on Netflix, or look up K-pop singers on YouTube, or take a look at your local anime and cosplay clubs. Anyways, that's it for this episode. See you next week.